0: Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and beginning with verse 10. We're resuming our series on 1 Corinthians. We decided to title this as a true spirituality. because The more we're getting into the text itself, we'll find out why this could be this, the central theme of the 1 Corinthians. Today, Beginning with verse 1, actually, we are beginning the actual body of the letter. Verse 1 through 9 so far was greeting and thanksgiving. A typical Greco-Roman style of opening the letter. But what's just interestingly uh, different about the First Corinthians, though, as I mentioned before, unlike other Apostle Paul's letters, the pastoral letters, which usually have the half of the beginning of the letter would be doctrinal, really what to believe and why we believe. And the second letter was a a practice of or application of that doctrine. Typically Romans 1 through 11 would be doctrine and chapter 12 through all the way to 16 would be the practice. Uh, same as um, Ephesians chapter 1 through 3 would be doctrine. And 4 through 6 would be practice and application. But however, 1 Corinthians, we don't have anything like that. As soon as he gives that introduction, introductory remark, Verse 10, he begins with, I appeal to you. It's almost like, I'm thankful for you, but I appeal to you. And he goes into the problems, the devastating problems of the First Corinthians church. To recap, I'm going to give you overview of that. the the first Corinthians letter, the half of the first Corinthians was about um, the issues that was reported by the household of Chloe. We'll talk about Chloe. We don't know exactly who Chloe was, but we just know it's a woman's name. The people who came to Paul reported these are the things happening. So he deals with verse, I I mean, chapter one, through all the way to chapter seven. Uh, Chapter six, he deals with that, and chapter seven, the rest of the chapter, he deals with the written questions, the letter sent by the first Corinthians, and he deals with that. But let me say this: today's topic is dealing with divisions in the church. The first issue was a division, divisive spirit and uh, factions in the church. We begin with this introductory remark, verse 10 through verse 17. But this actually goes all the way to to chapter 4. And there's a reason for that. These divisions and factions were symptoms of root causes. We don't get to go into the root causes yet, because Paul will be very upfront, but I'd like to see this instead of this problem. But starting next week, uh, verses 18 through 25 and 26 to 31, in chapter 2, And then he goes into not only the root problem and talks about leadership issues, how we should deal with the leaders. So in that mindset, let's begin with this question. What were the factions? We talked about high school cliques, right? But in Corinthian churches, Church, there were four factions or should we say uh, four rival groups verse 11 we're going to go back to verse 10 because verse 10 later it, it will be actually the, Paul's admonition and urging for unity but problem first verse 11 for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers what I mean is that each each one of you says, "I follow Paul," or "I follow Apollos," or "I follow Cephas." Cephas is, um NMA for Peter. Or I follow Christ. So four groups. First group. I'm indebted to Ray Sturman's uh, nickname for that. I'm using. Three of his nicknames that I I read. The first one is a loyalist. I follow Paul. Paul was the founder of the church. Paul was the first uh, Christian worker, apostle, came to the town and preached the gospel, built the church and planted the church, and many of them heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from Paul. So they're saying... We ought to be loyal. He's the, the pioneer uh, apostle for, for us. The second group is a stylist. I was actually about to name, name them as hipsters. because uh, It kind of reminds me that our culture, there's a hipster Christianity. And they have all different kinds of dress code. and uh, It was really funny to even kind of equate that. Why Stylist? Because Apollos was an awesome orator. He was, in our language, he's a dynamic speaker. Every time when he got on the teaching mode, everybody was saying something like, whenever Apollos speaks, the Old Testament is alive. And he spoke one hour, 10, 15 minutes But I feel so engaged. I want him to not to stop. Keep going. Apollos was. Not only great. In his. uh, Public speaking. But he he was also. So knowledgeable. uh, From. Beginning to end. What they knew as a. Scripture Old Testament. So no wonder. Some. People um, would say the author of Hebrews might be Apollos. I, I, I'm I'm one of those people who lean toward to that uh, because it sounds like a someone who knows inside out. He, he becomes, I mean, to me, even the Hebrews, the Leviticus, boring Leviticus, Leviticus comes alive. And as, you, we, as, as we go through Exodus study in home groups, uh, you might as well go back to uh, Hebrews often, because it, it the exodus will come alive, especially beginning chapter 19 and 20, because we're going to actually hear the law and not only the Ten Commandments and go to the tabernacles and how to uh, approach God and holy of holies, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So stylist. The third group was a traditionalist. I follow Cephas. And maybe this is the type of people who said, Well original group, the leader of twelve disciples, whom with whom Jesus spent most of the time, Cephas, and notice that they use the word Cephas rather than Peter. Peter is Greek. Cephas is NMA, meaning it's more traditional, it's more beginning, and they spoke the language there. In the first century church, Christians, to them, Peter was a powerful miracle worker. The stories about what Peter has done in Pentecost, 3,000 people coming to know Christ, accepting Christ, receiving Christ, and being baptized, and the many miracles. The Paul, Apostle Paul, in traveling, there were signs and wonders by, done by Apostle Paul, too. But because of the questions and suspicions about his apostleship, it's probably downgraded quite a bit. And that's hence the reason why uh, Dr. Luke wrote book of Acts to bring the authenticity and the, the evidence of full apostleship of Paul. That's one of the reasons. Anyway, I follow Cephas, traditionalist. And then fourth group I call it elitist because this probably sounds much more uh, conceptually correct, but probably the worst of four. But they're basically saying, okay, feel free to follow Paul, feel free to follow Eloquent Apollos, and feel free to follow Cephas. But we belong to Christ. As if they monopoly, has monopoly on Christ. And in, 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 this, in the right spirit, if, right spirit, if they said it, it's probably the correct answer. But Paul naming them as one of the factions, we could sense and feel their divisive spirit. And notice that Paul said, there are quarrels among you. One thing, another thing. Did leaders start this factions? No, not at all. Apostle Paul, even Book of Acts, uh, working very closely with the Apostle uh, Apollos and affirming, and and Peter and Paul as well. So the leaders didn't have nothing to do with that. The followers had made up their mind. They're heroes. They're celebrities, in, in a sense. With the factions. And to that, Paul gives at least three reasons this is terribly wrong. And he gives as a rhetorical question. There are three rhetorical questions there. The first question is, is Christ divided. Absolutely every single question, because it's a rhetorical question. Because uh, this is almost like to make a stronger point, he puts in a question form. Every single question is resoundingly absolutely no. Although he doesn't spell it out, but that's the the function of rhetorical question, right? Is Christ divided? No. The body of Christ cannot be di- distributed as a fragmented parts among subgroups within Christ's church. A literal uh, wording of that is Christ divided. Just imagine that. Parts of the body is divided and distributed to in the in apostle Paul's mind the church of Christ is the body of Christ church is the body of Christ and the head of the church is Christ and the entire body is consists of the parts of the body is the people of Christ and there is only one body rhetorical question number two was Paul crucified for you? Absolutely not. No. And Paul basically saying, I was not and could not be crucified for you. Do you notice this? There are four factions, rival groups. Having said about Christ not dividing and being one body, he goes on to explore. Some follies, some some terribly mis, misunderstood presuppositions in there. Instead of attacking, uh, using uh, Apollos' group party, or Cephas' party, he goes on to his own. It's, it's, it's a subtle wisdom, but it's a very, very important wisdom, I think, in this letter. Just imagine that. If Paul said was Apollos crucified for you? And then Paul's group will be so enthusiastic. Gee, I told you. Apollos is nothing. My teacher, our teacher, knows about that. Christ is the reason. It goes on, right? And Paul, undercurrent thing that he's saying, I could almost hear I am like all of you, a sinner who needed a Savior, for whom Christ was crucified as an atoning death. Do not elaborate me. Oh, by the way, did you see that in the verse? We're going to go back to that later. And that's why he used the word brothers. The one those groups, the people, Apostle Paul's party, the loyalists, almost worshipped him, right? And he uses the word, I appeal to you, brothers, I'm one of you. Question number three, were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, absolutely not, you were baptized in the name of Jesus, the Savior and Lord. And he goes on, Paul goes on to explain what he has done intentionally. Verse 14 through 16, he says, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. And I think... um, as he was dictating the one who was writing the letter sustinus and he's probably said oh, what about what about stephanus and he would say oh i did baptize also the household of stephanus beyond that i do not know whether i baptized anyone else so beyond that i do not know where, whether i baptized anyone else has an implication also too. Paul is basically saying, it doesn't really matter I baptize him or not. But I was trying to eliminate eliminate that reason for boasting. Before this church plant, as you know, we planted a church and a friend of mine who Was a senior lead pastor. I was an associate pastor. And the church grew quite a bit. And unlike the traditional church, which is way worse than we were, um, in other words, when you're getting married, you have to get the senior pastor, the lead pastor, to marry you. The senior pastor, because of the relationships, if that person is a very prominent leader or large donator, you have to be very careful, right? But the associate pastors get the leftovers. Like the people who, but this church, you know, people who are close to me, they wanted, actually preferred me. I'm great, you know, great, grateful for that. But I remember the people who struggled when the lead pastor of that church was not Available. Their frustration was coming across. I, I was the person who was coordinating most of the time in the beginning. Why can't you? Basically, basically, we want to uh, put in a calendar. I mean, if you plan ahead, one year ahead, but usually when people get married, it's usually a few months down the road when they're deciding after, deciding the you know, place and date and all that. Right? In the similar way, when people have this rival group, whoever they liked and pursued as their spiritual hero, all these things might have come out. And to that, Paul is basically saying this, I'm like all of the other teachers, nobody, who happen to be used by God's sovereign grace in somebody, Christ. So we want to get into how to deal with divisions in the church. But to get some realistic picture in front of us, I think we need to kind of bring some things up. The possibility of uh, the divisions in our church as well. In a broader scale, we could apply this in the, the unity of the church in Southern California, of course, or the United States in general. But Paul had this, when he was writing this um, he was uh, thinking about local congregation in mind. I mean, at, you know, Ephesians, he was more global concept of uh, unity. So we need to think about that rather than thinking about denominationalism and different uh, divisions in the Christendom in general. We need to think about our church. And even within the, our church, we could have all these different reasons for that. And number one, you know, if we have a, several other pastors teaching, there could be the problematic there, because I know a friend of mine who actually you know works with a you know larger church and knows that people find out in the calendar and they want to know the schedule ahead is who's speaking in. This coming Sunday, if their favorite teacher is not speaking, they're staying home. I don't want to go. Or we have so much of uh, abundant resources on radio. The people who follow the radio station and the spe- specific radio teacher, it's great in one sense. But when it becomes celebrity when it becomes hero worship there's a much of a problem with that too in our generation but within our church let me be frank with you i think it's not so much of you know i follow i follow paul i follow stan i follow it doesn't make sense right we our, our elders are so humble it, you know We don't have that J or Ho or Stan Paul parties, right? (laughs) But I think we do, we do have possible dangers of the regions. Home groups are great, but home groups, when people have, you know, gathered together, not only personality, but the, the style, the preference of People who are living in more South Orange County, the culture is a little different. The North Orange County will say, Oh, I don't want to have lived in the boxed urban same houses. So our houses are very different. You know. <laughs> or or the the so people will say something like, you know, oh, I heard that the sixty percent of the schools are Asians. Oh, we have only two percent, Santa Ana. Yoo-hoo! Not even 2%. (laughs) But sometimes it's a personality. It's really great to love your home group. Do you notice that starting last year? uh, This year also too. We're going to go to all church retreat. There will be no home group competition anymore because of that reason. Because we were so getting into it and when there was only two groups in north and central oh there was a, so much of competition and we have some very competitive people also too there's another thing another problem potential problem conflicts oh our church might be small and we might not have all different kinds of political reasons and our ch- elders are so humble And it doesn't become a status symbol for among other churches. But we do have conflicts because we live so closely and everybody knows everybody's marriages, everybody's problem, everybody's home group, and men's group, women's group. And there are people actually who are scared to come into our community because of those reasons. And frankly, I would admit, as our church uh, grows, there will be some buffer, healthy buffer, and the people doesn't feel so much exposed. But what we believe is because of real transformation, and even after the service, um, seeker-friendly or you know, consumer-oriented church might be, this is the last thing we should do, break it into smaller group, and And receive God's word communally. But we do that. But if you've been here long enough. Including me. We've went through some. Conflicts. they are consuming. And sleepless nights. What will you do? How how would you deal with that divisive spirit in your heart, or divisive divisions in the church? Or another 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 big thing is differing opinions, especially about parenting. Some home groups have a meeting about that too, right? So with all this in mind, let's not think that this is applied in a you know the bigger scale of the big churches, or the Southern California church in general. but Let's apply into our own lives. And as the church grows, we'll face more uh, problems but we'll be ready. There are three things, at least three things, Paul mentions in this. The first way, to deal with, uh, pursue unity in dealing with division in the church is this. We are to seek a spirit of agreement as one body of Christ. Verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. he once again, he mentions them as brothers, as uh, more mutual brothers. And not in his own authority, but as apostle sent by Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses the authority of Christ. And the first thing he said, agree. The word agree in Greek literally means to say the same things. To speak the same things. And I think we need to debunk the myth about this first as well. Um, especially when living in a culture in which we revere personal rights and speech, freedom of speech. Uh, does it mean that we are indoctrinated by the church leaders? We have to say the same thing. We have to agree on every single thing. Absolutely not. It doesn't mean... Unity doesn't mean uniformity. But I want to emphasize on the other side is much more. It requires to, to have an agreement at the end of differing opinions, which requires us to have a, a spirit or an attitude of desiring agreement rather than let them be. And this is a very American style. Let them be. So I'm going to insist my own way, which means stay divisive. The first thing that we need to do is seek a willing spirit of agreement that we would like to love to say the same things. Not because we are indoctrinated in any any way by the certain portion of people, but because we trust the leadership, the elders and pastor will guide through the scripture and then everybody say we agree. You know, the spirit of agreement is notice that. You could have a differing opinion, so you could have different things to say but at the end we are saying the same thing we are having the same mindset actually that goes into the next one but the spirit that desires and longs for agreement can we develop that culture can we develop that kind of mindset and attitude Yes, we can. Number two, in dealing with divisions, pursuing unity means that we are to cultivate like-mindedness and unified direction as one body of Christ. The latter part of verse 10, Paul writes, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. If we literally unpack that, the Greek word, the same mind would be the same thoughts. The same thing. It's like a, a, a agreeing spirit doesn't mean agreeing on every little things. The same mind doesn't mean that we have same thoughts 24-7 that we don't become creative. I mean, the, the, the idea of synergy comes from two different people, two different ideas coming out with a third one, right? So it doesn't mean uniformity, but it means like-mindedness, having similar values and desires. How sweet it is to dwell, the brothers dwell in harmony, the psalmist saying. Or oh, you also know that when you're getting together with like-minded brother, like-minded sister, there is a deep fellowship. We have to cultivate that. The second part is the same judgment, literally means same opinions. But that doesn't mean no differing opinions at all. But I really think that this is a good idea to think about unified directions. For example, this year, we decided to seek the the direction of the Spirit, Holy Spirit and asking the Holy Spirit um, as a pastor, as a shepherd of this church, I discern. With that discernment, I go to the elders, our leadership team. I really think that the spirit, I discern that spirit is asking, prompting us and challenging us to love our neighbor. Outreach, not not just more than, I mean, not merely just a personal evangelism per se, but loving, having concerns for outsiders, with no strings attached, the way Jesus taught, told us to love and do the same in Samaritan, good Samaritan story. I think that becomes holistic. The elders will say, right on, brother. And I want you to know that three of our elders are not only humble, but they're very, very different from me. Very, very different from each other. And discerning together, we're basically saying this is the direction that we're going to take. What does it mean to have a same judgment? Not that you could have a different opinion or thoughts at all, but because the sense of unity and that culture and attitude, once again, unified direction means we are on it. We're going to support it with emotional unity. But what the American politics to- told us is it's okay to have sassy attitude. Just let the be the decisions made and uh, or the so and so is elected as a president. Oh, we don't, I don't like him, but what does it mean for us to be united and unified especially within the church. It goes way beyond the political unity. Tolerance. It is an emotional unity. It is a type of unity that we go and cheer for our friend's son or daughter in athletic competition. Go! That kind of unity. I want the same direction with you. Have you been one of those parents? And whenever you know, our friends come to, to watch set game and even though they're losing, I feel so supportive and enthusiastic about so grateful. I could sense they really desire the same thing. This is something that we need to train ourselves. It's not easy. It doesn't come easy. Because my, my opinion was uh, something else. And the church-wide, we decide this. Can we humble ourselves and support that with 100%? Third and last one is we are to focus on Christ wholeheartedly and not on human leaders and wisdom as one body of Christ. In the verse 17. Is, this is not an explicit command. But implicit ones. Of, uh, Apostle Paul. Gives the reason. What he's doing. And verse 17 says. For Christ did not send me to baptize. But to preach. The, to preach the gospel. Not with the words of eloquent wisdom. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power when he mentions not with the words of eloquent wisdom and literally that means wisdom of words oh now we're getting into the, the root causes remember the two main reasons one of the two main reasons root causes of um, Corinthian Christians which spurred and emerged all these symptoms on the surface. One of them is a secularization of the church. In other words, the world philosophy and culture influencing them. And the Greek philosophy is all about seeking wisdom. And then he mentions, when I came to preach the gospel, not with the words of eloquent wisdom, because if I use the eloquence of wisdom, or wisdom of words, the message of Christ, a message of the cross, will be distorted. Oh, this is so true. Antis- let's anticipate that, as Paul going to expound the following verses next week. Verse 18 through 25, we get to actually hear what Paul really means. And he goes even further, the following. But today, the focus that I'm trying to have from what Paul said is First uh, Corinthians 3, verse 21 and 23, he writes it this way. So let no one boast in man, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or word, world or life or death, or the present, or the future, are all are yours. And you are Christ's. And Christ is God's. The positive way of saying is, if you're going to boast, boast in the Lord. When you say boast in the Lord, hear the boast in the Lord, you might as well think. Boast about the Lord only. Boast Christ only, in other words. Don't put your hopes and don't follow this, the human leaders and human wisdom in an unhealthy way. Having said that, I'm going to give you two ways of, of being divisive. One, on one hand, division comes from following one human leader only, on one human leader only, rather than seeking Christ-centeredness. Is it okay to follow uh, one great teacher? Yes. I think that's just so healthy. But the unhealthy things we even experience that among among our relationship with others whom we care. When they follow one leader and they don't want to listen to anyone else. They're not interested in anyone else. One leader. That's unhealthy. That's not following Christ. Word of Christ, Word of God is exposed, you know, Word of God is delivered by the different styles of messengers. Paul is basically saying, Apollos and I have a difference. I I think, you know, objectively speaking, Apollos might be a better dynamic speaker, but the content we preach are the same. It's Christ. I'm going to reveal something. For those of you close to me or listen to my message very attentively, know that I quote the same people over and over. And there are some books that I will mention so many times and many of you got as a birthday gift. You go, ah, another... (laughs) But during, do you notice that? I back off from time to time. There's a reason for that. If I mention or po- point to one author, one book, too much and too often, what happens is this unhealthy attachment can happen. That you might get the wrong idea. And not to mention cultic leaders, you know, Seventh day Adventist became almost cultic. Now they came back to the central message of evangelicalism more, but the, by the name of Ellen G. White, everybody listen to. Me. Oh, we know Mormonism about Joseph Smith. And Jehovah's Witness By the name of Eliza Eliza Russell. Basically said any scripture must be up to interpreted by me as a correct understanding. LA Church of Christ. Okay. Aside from these, even the good good churches, and we could have a tendency is that one hero or one teacher, one stylistic person could be capturing our minds so much so that we forget Christ. And then many different preachers and or, or the teachers sitting in front of us and teaching us we do not give same open teachable attitude that is absolutely wrong on the other hand and there are uh, people who are so cynical and it will even say I, unlike you I don't have a herd mentality I follow Christ only kind of thing right well, that is wrong too. Because when the divisive spirit is that I am the only one who really decides everything, I know what is right. It's a rugged individualism. Oh, well, you ought to read these books that I recommend. When you read books, you better read with open heart rather than, oh. let me tell you what's wrong with these paragraphs can we read books with open heart the type of books that survived over several decades, impacted so many people Who who am I to think that this message doesn't have any impact on me, at least that oh you will be healthy you to continually be open and teachable you know Paul might not have eloquence he wants to be truthful to the scripture and I I follow with a healthy attitude to submissive to the word of God the balance is basically we need to boast Christ alone in Christ centered community And that's why the the authority of scripture is so important. I'm excited about what's coming up because we get to actually go into the root problems more. Why people acted that way. And there are several reasons that we could, it could be so relevant and applicable for us as well. But for now, I'm going to stop here as we move into the Let's pray. Father, thank you for the teaching of Apostle Paul through 1 Corinthians. We are grateful for this Apostle. We're grateful that you used him radically. But yet, we're truly deeply grateful for unchanging Word of God that you gave Apostle Paul as an inspiration that his idea actually came from you would you teach us to to see a spirit of agreement like-mindedness unified direction and Christ centeredness in our church and Father we pray that, that you would be pleased and glorified as our church grows in number. That you will keep us humble, unified together. And it is our desire, Lord, that our church, unchurched friends would see that this supernatural unity and oneness in Christ We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.